the perfect combination of versatile athleisure and training apparel has arrived. Thanks to the visionary minds of New Balance, Clutch Athletics, and Rich Paul, the designs reflect the heart of the athlete and the spirit of the community. With rising defensive football stars Will Anderson and Chase Young on the roster, Clutch Athletics brings the best innovative gear to all athletes, giving them style and performance on and off the field. Learn more and purchase Clutch Athletics at NewBalance.com. Welcome to the Cover 3 Podcast with your hosts, Chip Patterson and Barton Simmons. It's your call for the best college football coverage. From National Signing Day to the National Championship and everything in between, CBS Sports presents the Cover 3 Podcast. And welcome back to the Cover 3 Podcast here on CBS Sports. That's Barton Simmons. He's live in Stanford, Connecticut at the CBS Sports HQ studios. That's Tom Fernelli from Chicago. I'm here in Raleigh. Gentlemen, week six is not quite in the books. Barton's beloved Beavers, triple B's right there, currently holding a 10-point lead in the fourth quarter against UCLA in the Rose Bowl. Just a just a massive game. We'll we'll give you updates as uh, as we continue to follow those along the way. Washington on the ropes on the farm, down 13-10, and of course uh, a full day of action to recap. Gentlemen, Barton, how are we feeling? Yeah, I don't I don't appreciate you talking about the Beavers before the win is in the barn, man. <laughs> you gotta. Yeah, this is this is this is Pac-12 and it's midnight and there's a lot of crazy stuff can happen. So, uh, but but good on the Beavers to be rolling right now. And this is going to be likely a podcast full of frustration as Washington pisses away what is likely to be uh, a, a, a a cover, but maybe even a win against the Stanford team. They're they're surely better than. But uh, all that's neither here nor there. There's there's some good ball to talk about. Tom, how's your day going? Uh, I'm, my, I'm still distraught about my Air Force Navy under not cashing, but you know, 78% of the time it works every time, I guess. <laughs> well, yeah. Is that, is that what, is, is it a 78% clip that, that we're, that we're working off of with the service Academy head to head unders? Uh, it's now twenty two five and one since twenty ten, so I don't know what the math is off my head. But so yeah, yeah, man, just yeah, stay the course. You know, just keep on rocking that thing, and you uh, you you you're bound to lose one every once in a while. I I think it's just a symptom of the way that things are going for me this year that I can't even get the Air Force Navy under to hit right now. It's that's just my year in a nutshell. Hey, we're gonna keep our head down. We're gonna keep swinging slow, and you just keep your eye on the ball. And things are gonna things are gonna get straightened out by the back nine. Don't you worry, Tom. You good yeah, with these I'm golf a, analogies? I'm a, I'm a bad golfer. <laughs> <laughs> All right, hey. So let's start with the SEC on CBS game of the week. Florida takes care of business at home against Auburn. This was uh, there's a lot to diagnose here. We've got Kyle Trask going down with kind of a scary knee injury, but being able to come back into the game and finish the game. We'll see if if that ends up being anything moving forward. It was uh, a game that I thought. Florida's defense did a, a great job of showing up, getting finally healthy, as we talked about all during the week. Uh, Barton, I guess, first, the the lingering takeaway for you, do you feel like you're coming out of this isolating the game as like a, well, of course, Florida's going to figure out some way to win this 
you know, top 10 matchup in the swamp against Auburn? Or are you coming out of this with even stronger feelings about the Gators? Maybe that the gap between them and the Bulldogs isn't quite as vast as I guess that we've sort of uh, intimated so far here on the podcast. I, I, I think, I mean, I, I certainly was impressed with Florida. I, I came away feeling like this is, I, I still don't know if I think they're a top 10 team, but at least I think now that they're, they can, they can claim it. I'm, I'm good with them claiming it. Uh, they are still are a little bit one dimensional for my taste, but the defense really, I mean, I, I know Auburn can be very one dimensional and, and we talk about how sort of predictable they can be, but, because of some of the pieces they have on this team, because of the, the the style of quarterback, because you know they've got Anthony Schwartz and they've got Seth Williams, like they've they've got the pieces in place and a veteran offensive line to do the things they want to do on offense. And so, as predictable as they might be, they're really hard to stop. And and Florida's defense forced them to do the things they didn't want to do. And so that was I, I just thought the defense for Florida looked outstanding. And, and the type of defense that can keep them in any game in the country, maybe with the exception of the kind of the, you know, the, the LSU, Alabama, Ohio State tier. I don't know if Georgia's in that tier or not. But, right. Uh, yes, agree. But that's a different conversation. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I this game pretty much went how I expected it to go, except for I didn't expect there to be eight turnovers between the two teams for each. But, I mean, there was a lot of talk about Auburn's offensive line being improved, but if you looked at the defensive lines it had faced outside of Texas A&M, it really hadn't faced a very good defensive line all season long, and it certainly hadn't faced one as good as this Florida one, and we kind of saw it. But at the same time, I thought Auburn's offensive line, for the most part, did okay. They couldn't run the ball, but as far as, you know, protecting Bo Nix, I thought it was decent, not great. Nix's mobility certainly helped out quite a bit there, but I just, like Barton was saying, Auburn's one-dimensional. They took that dimension away and said, okay, Bo Nix, beat us with your arm, and Bo Nix was not good. He was 11 for 27, 145 yards, a touchdown, three interceptions. Just not a very good performance for Knicks, but to be expected from a freshman quarterback on the road in that environment against that defense. And on the other side, Florida's offense kind of looked like what it was going to. You know, Kyle Trask, you hope they hit a couple big plays if you're Florida, which they did. They hit one early to get on the board first. But the run game, which has pretty much struggled all season long, was pretty much horrible for the entire game. But overall, it was still a very bad performance. So... I think they're both top 10 teams, but I also think that this is kind of a sign of how there's like five to six teams that you can consider national title contenders. And then after that, the seven, eight, nine, and 10, you know, there, there's a huge gap between them and everybody else. I'm disappointed in myself in the, in the, in the ramp up for this game, the, the, the previews, because I picked Auburn to win. But I mean, I, I was on top of this Bo Nick stuff this season. And I, I wasn't fooled by the Oregon game. I wasn't fooled by anything. And then somehow, I guess I let Mississippi State game cloud my judgment. But Bo Nix is – I respect Bo Nix. <laughs> he is – you know, he's got a, a great – like in some, some great intangibles and playmaking ability, and he's athletic, and he's a coach's son, and he's, he's going to be a really good quarterback for Auburn. But he's, he's not like – an above average 
SEC quarterback. No. Uh, I mean, he's a below average SEC quarterback, and he is a guy that is – I mean, even even like, oh, man, like even the throw – the touchdown throw to Seth Williams was uh, was just – there's nothing impressive about that throw. The, the one where Seth Williams had to kind of lay out and, and catch it that ultimately ended up with an end zone interception. If you just push that in the place it's supposed to be, it's a touchdown – I mean, he's just uh, when it, if you make him throw, and not not every team's going to be able to do this. But if you make him throw, he's just not there yet. Like he's a good ways away, and that was painfully obvious today. Yeah, I mean, there wasn't anybody within like 15 yards of Williams when he caught that ball, and Nick still, you know, barely was able to get the ball to him. Williams had to make a great play just to get to it. So yeah, I I agree. Nick's has a chance to be a very good quarterback. He's still very young, but. He's not that player right now. He's he's a below average quarterback at the moment. And I think that's something we all need to keep in mind going forward because Auburn still has a lot of difficult games left. Okay, and so then, oh, on the other side of it, before I don't know where you're gonna go, Chip, but I do wanna I wanna touch on Trask quick. Okay, too, yeah, yeah. On yeah. The let's, other side. let's do that. Yeah. Because a, a number one is I thought that that showed a lot of courage where he came back in and played through that MCL sprain. Um I, I've had an MCL sprain, it's I mean, it's that's that's a tough deal. I mean, that that's it's you can you can move north south pretty easily, but to, to don't change go east direction. <laughs> yeah, that's that's a tough deal. So he came in and 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 I think showed some toughness playing through that and and sort of gave them enough. I also thought it showed something that the Dan Mullen just went back to him, didn't go to Emory Jones. I think that tells you how Dan Mullen views Kyle Trask, how Dan Mullen leans on him, trusts him in terms of his leadership and experience. But all that said, like LSU is coming up. And as much as I respect that performance, I think that there's some limitations on Florida. Uh, I mean, even their success in the throw game was, was sort of these short slants, quick hitter, West Coast offense type stuff that their receivers made plays with after the catch. So, I, I I think this Florida team's really good. I think they're going to be able to beat a lot of teams, most teams on their schedule. But I still don't know they have they have the offensive firepower to to win the biggest games. Well, so all right, that was the question because both of the teams that we saw today in Gainesville are going to play LSU and Baton Rouge. Both of these teams are going to play all are going to play Georgia. They both can play LSU. Both can play Georgia. Georgia plays at Auburn, obviously neutral site in Jacksonville for Florida Georgia. So. Do you think that uh, b- between LSU and Georgia, do you think that these two teams, how many wins do you think they get out of that? So you're saying four games? Yeah. I think, whew, I'd some, I don't know, man. I'm in, I don't think either of them can beat LSU. No. I think it's one in three, and that win is definitely coming against Georgia if it even happens. Yeah. With the yeah. especially because Georgia's got to go neutral and then at Auburn, so it's basically yeah. like that's your bet right there. And I just think that Georgia, like the way that you look at the style of play for Georgia and LSU, we've talked about it on here before. I just think that LSU is a more difficult team because you can't just you know you have to outscore it at this point, which I feel like Georgia will is more willing to get a little you know a rock fighty game where. One or two mistakes can decide the outcome. With LSU, you've you've got to just outplay it, and I'm not sure either Auburn or Florida have the offense that could keep pace with that. 
Okay, real quick before we get to Ohio State, does Tennessee take away any moral victory points from uh, putting just just at least being competitive for a hot minute against the Bulldogs? You know, it's funny. I, I was sitting here all – I mean, not all game, but certainly in the first half and well into the, the, the second half, I was I, – I had my finger on – on the button. A draft? To, a Twitter draft ready to go? No, no, no. no. <laughs> not a Twitter draft. Not a Twitter draft. A button to award Tennessee with a moral victory. Yeah. That I you know, I had I had the moral victory all queued up. It was in the win column. Moral moral victory. Tennessee needs every victory you can get. We'll give them a moral one. But then they let it slip away and I cannot I, I cannot stand by a moral victory being awarded to a team that got beat, whatever the final score was of that game. I, I mean, I, I'm not awarding a moral victory, but I will say if I'm a Tennessee fan, at the very least, I'm encouraged by Brian Moore and what we could possibly do on offense going forward. Because, yeah, they, they came out quick and then it just kind of died. But still, there there felt like a lot more life in that Tennessee offense tonight against Georgia, even in like a 30-point loss than I re- there really has been at any point this season before. You, you know what I saw out of Tennessee? I, I saw a team that has a bunch of guys. Not a, there's there's some guys out there that are making play. Like there's some guys out there that look like the way you want them to look. But but for every two of them, there's one guy that's just ain't very good. And and it's gonna take some more time to weed out those ain't very goods. And I, I I still think that the guys coming into the program are better than the guys leaving, and I still think this this team is heading in the right direction. Uh, but there was a lot of plays where it's just man, you know what? A lot of guys like ten guys did really did, did a good job on that play, but one guy didn't didn't strap it on for that one. So it was uh, you know it's it's there's moments there's flashes, but. Just, just not there yet, and no moral victories out of this one. And for any uh, listeners who weren't really, it was, it was fourteen ten Tennessee leads early second quarter, and mm-hmm. then uh, thirty three unanswered points for Georgia. The Bulldogs win forty three to fourteen, and uh, I'm gonna go ahead and just put an open call out. I know that a lot of college football players probably download this podcast. Marquez Callaway, Jawan Jennings, the 30 for 30 that you want to do talking about your time at Tennessee, the 13 <laughs> combined years that you've had with this team. Yeah, come come talk to the Cover 3 podcast first because we can turn this into an anthology series. Please. Does it ever terrify you the idea that players are listening? No, not really. But I don't think it does. Yeah. I, I I hope I again I hope that you are because Juwan Jennings and Marquez Calloway I promise you there's the one of the greatest books that could ever be written about Tennessee football is going to be about y'all's experience. The only person I'm worried about listening is Brian Van Gorder. <laughs> I, I, I think I think if I run into Brian Van Gorder he might not we, we may not, we may not chop it up over a beer. I think but, the uh, three of us could take him. So as long as we're together. <laughs> <laughs> the uh and by the way how, how about uh notre dame getting the cover and the under 
Oh man, you should have played it. <laughs> that would have been beautiful if you played that one. It's all right. Understandable. At least you hit one of them. Yeah, exactly. All right. So uh, Ohio State takes care of business against Michigan State. It looks like Michigan State has kind of lured the Buckeyes into uh, the kind of fist fight that Sparty needs to be able to hang on. But man, that uh, that Michigan State offense just is uh, like between. And I guess we we'll get to Michigan next. But those. Uh, the the offense just ain't it ain't it that ain't it chief and eventually these things were going to break down a little bit of a slow start but uh buckeyes end up pulling away with a with a comfortable victory and the uh the cover after a, another late sparty turnover tom so you were uh you were on the live blog for this right mhm okay so what's how how are we feeling in terms of the uh but before we get to the Ohio State sort of like, oh my God, how good are they? Conversation that we're going to continue to carry on for the next couple of weeks. Uh, like, are we uh, are we done with Sparty? Was this their one chance, or do you think that there's still some uh, some ups and downs for this very very confusing and confounding 2019 Spartans team? I think that the first few minutes of this game decided how the rest of it went, and things could have been pretty different. Not to say that I think Michigan State wins this game, but you look at the way it started. Ohio State gets the ball to start. Michigan State's defense comes out, completely stops them. They get a punt. Michigan State then turns the ball over on its very first play. It hits a slant, gets a first down, and then fumble. So now all of a sudden, Ohio State's got the ball inside the Michigan State 30. And then Michigan State's defense comes back out, stonewalls Ohio State again, pushes it back. Ohio State misses a field goal. So now you're like, okay, cool. Jitters are out. They dodge the bullet. Two plays later, Michigan State's fumbling the ball right back to Ohio State. And again, the defense comes out and stops them, but this time they make the field goal. But it was just the Spartans had a chance there where if they would have been able just to take advantage, if, if not even score, but just, you know, put together a nice drive, flip the field, keep things going – they could have maybe kept this close and like more rock fighty and had a chance to win. But when they didn't do that, I feel like it kind of left the sails out because it was another instance of the defense probably be like, man, we have to do everything. Because I thought Brian Lewerke overall played well. Yeah. I thought he was let down a bit by his receivers. And I think at the end of the day, this the problem with Michigan State is the same problem it's been. They can't run the ball. The offensive line is not very good. And they, they averaged two and a half yards per carry in this game on the ground. They weren't really able to protect the work. He was, he was sacked four times. He was harassed a lot more than that. And it's just, if they can't block, their ceiling is very limited because, you know, if your whole identity is to try to be a physical football team and you're not physical in your offensive line, what are you going to be able to do? So, yeah, I, I don't. I think Michigan State is still one of the better teams in the Big Ten, but it's it's well below that top tier of teams. I think this game went exactly how we all envisioned it. I mean, we talked about it that uh, Ohio State and the under are, are you know pretty good chance they both hit. I mean, I think we all felt like that that was a really likely scenario. And I mean, early in the game, uh, I mean, with Michigan State not scoring. Um, I mean, they, they they certainly like they they had the fumbles, they stopped Ohio State, uh, but they didn't take advantage of their opportunities. And I think as this game continued, it was very clear that look, uh, this Mississippi State team is going to get tired. 
Like Ohio State's just got too much firepower offensively to not wear them down and get points out of this deal. And so when it became clear that it wasn't going to be a, you know, that, that Ohio State was going to get plenty of possessions and that Justin Fields wasn't, because early in the game it looked like Justin Fields, you know, first six attempts or so, he didn't look that sharp. But when he got a little bit more comfortable and it looked like Justin Fields was not a fraud, it was like, all right, well, this is just a matter of time. I mean, they're, they're going to stretch this out. It's just a matter of time because Justin Fields is, in fact, pretty dang good. And, I mean, sure enough, you know, a few big plays, a few Justin Fields runs, and it's a pretty futile enterprise for Michigan State to try to come up with a W. Yeah, it felt like there was a moment in the second quarter where Ohio State's offensive line kind of figured out what it had to do against Michigan State's defensive front. And once it was able to do that and Justin Fields was able to settle in, they were able to just you know start running the ball, the game was over. It's like Justin Fields, because of the quarterback depth at Ohio State, there's probably a little bit of game planning that's trying to limit um, you know, the exposure there. And then you get caught in a really tight, tough situation. And Ryan Day's like, oh, okay. <sighs> let's hit the easy button. Let's just run the quarterback power. Or like, let's just let's just call up some of these Justin Fields design run plays because those are the same plays that are in the playbook from when it was like JT Barrett there. And guess what? Justin Fields is a way better runner than JT Barrett. And that can get uh, something that might've been a seven yard gain. It could be a 25 yard gain. And that stuff is just uh, so scary when we do consider. And I, I took the jokey voice earlier, but as we do continue to consider Ohio state and how it ranks against the best teams in the country, like the, the, that dynamic aspect to the Justin Fields Ohio State offense is just one of those things that feels like a tiebreaker that kind of makes it easy uh, to put the Buckeyes over the top in those some of those debates. Yeah, you can be you can, you can be having a bad day on offense. You can be having a bad day throwing the ball. You can be things aren't clicking, and Justin Fields can get loose a couple times. And I mean, what the, I think it was the J.K. Dobbins long run. I mean, it was. That part of what sparks that run is just the fact that defenses are so worried about Justin Fields keeping it, and I mean that's just that's a it's a get out of jail free card in a lot of ways. And uh, Ryan Day is really good at using it. Uh, kind of a side note: what was amazing about that Dobbins touchdown run is he got caught from behind for a second there, and he nearly got tackled, and the tackler hit him, and it completely slowed him down. But then after Dobbins didn't go down, it took him two steps to be right back at full speed. <laughs> it yeah. was like two strides, and it was like, all right, he's, he, you know, he went from zero to 60 in two strides. And I was just like, man, you cannot teach that. That's just something you have. Yeah. It's, uh, it's good to see JK out here uh, putting up these touchdowns the same way after that running game was struggling a little bit. Uh, speaking of a struggling running game, or I guess even a struggling offense. Uh, in Ann Arbor, there was a, a an incredibly ing aggressive performance by a Michigan defense that was really able to overwhelm Iowa's offensive line, cause a lot of problems for Nate Stanley, and really like win the game. There was like there was also uh, sort of a strange feel to the Michigan Iowa game because. At, at 10 nothing in the first quarter, it kind of felt like Michigan was going to cruise in this one. And, you know, I felt like they were going to cruise because they seemed bigger 
You know, they just were a little bit bigger, a little bit stronger, a little bit more athletic. I think this seemed like it was just going to be a, a little bit more run-of-the-mill, and yet that Michigan offense just just sort of screeched to a halt. So, like, Barton, what did... What what was your your sort of current status with the Michigan offense? Because fantastic performance by Michigan's defense. Yes, that is true. But also this game probably should have been twenty eight to ten instead of ten to three, the way it looked early at least. Yeah. I, I mean, I guess hey, maybe maybe I was that good on defense. I don't know, but it's certainly the Evidence we have to this point in the season suggests more likely Michigan's just really still trying to figure something out on offense. You know, that the early in the game, that big throw to Nico Collins downfield, I was like, whoa, okay. Like, now this is this is a little more like it. And let's, I felt like the- they were going to get it all game. I mean, they even said it on the broadcast. Joel Clatt was like, yeah, Kirk Ferentz was really worried about these big-bodied receivers against our yep. small corners. And I was like, well, yeah, you found it in the first quarter. Just keep hitting it, and you're going to win this game comfortably. And it didn't happen. Yeah. And I just – I mean, look, there's – I don't know where to point to because Shea Patterson is – had just hadn't been the guy. the The offensive line is supposed to be one of the best offensive lines in the country. That was what we were led to believe coming into the season. They're not. There's really not a re- true bell cow running back. And then while we all think their receivers are all really good, I mean, they got to be right, but <laughs> they're not. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Like, no, I'm right there with you. Like, you know, yeah, I mean, the, I, sure. I don't think that's a lie. Like, I think that that's true, but. Here we are, and they—they, they, you know, they're not getting open, or they're not. I, so I, I don't know who to blame it on, and uh, maybe we don't need to blame it on anyone. Maybe it's just a collection of players that have not gelled in a new offense, but um, it ain't there. And uh, you know, they got some—they got some tough games coming up. If if you gentlemen will allow me a moment here, I'd like to read you Michigan's drive charts, okay? <laughs> Five plays, 14 yards, punt. Four plays, eight yards, field goal. Six plays, 70 yards, touchdown. Hey, Chip, things are starting out pretty good. It's feeling pretty good, like you were saying. Two plays, five yards, interception. Three plays, four yards, punt. Five yards, 17 plays, punt. Three plays, zero yards, punt. Six plays, 56 yards, missed field goal. Five plays, 22 yards, punt. Six plays, six yards, punt. Ten yards, six, ten plays, 64 yards, missed field goal. Three plays, two yards, punt. Three plays, eight yards, punt. Now, after I've read that, I would like to go to a quote from Jim Harbaugh following this game. <clears throat> I really think we're hitting our stride on offense. I really do. The way our offense has been practicing, the way they've been preparing, I have great faith they're hitting their stride. <laughs> I don't think Jim and I are watching the same team. Yeah, what does it look like to not be hitting your stride, I guess? I think they're hitting their stride on defense, at least since they were dismantled by Wisconsin. But if that's the offense hitting its stride, Michigan is in a lot of trouble. They had 267 yards. They averaged four and a half yards per play. As I went through the drive chart, they only had like three or four possessions where they went over 50 yards on any possession. Okay, they're hitting their stride. I tell you, it's that that it makes me love that defense, though. 
because those guys just, I mean, they absolutely, I mean, that's a, Alaric Jackson maybe came back a little early from injury because he had his hands full on the def, uh, with that Michigan defensive line. Like the, those guys came to play, um, what they had seven or eight sacks on the day. They had eight uh, sacks. They had seven in their first four games. <laughs> yeah. I mean, and, and, and I mean, I trust Don Brown to get his guys right. And, and I love the mentality that those guys have because they know at this point, they know what they have on offense. Like those guys sitting on the other side of the bench ain't helping us out, boys. Like, let's go do this on our own. And and that's exactly what they did. And I like that sort of fires me up that they they don't even you know what? Forget it. We're not counting on y'all anymore. Let, let's we're going to do this on our own. And hey, look, the defense deserves plenty of blame for the Wisconsin game, if not most of the blame. Uh, but they, they they got it fixed, and I, I think that this is starting to look like a deep because you know some of the guys are making plays like Cameron Grone had like t- you know two sacks, and I mean th- there's some guys that are sort of new face playmakers that are stepping forward, and so I think that that's a pretty uh, encouraging indicator for that program. One of the, we, uh, uh, just one of the, uh, the wildest stats that I think I saw this, this week was Jonathan Taylor has scored a touchdown on every Wisconsin opening drive this season. Yes. Yeah. He scored like five touchdowns today. Fish. Sorry, Tom. I was, uh, where are we setting the total for Michigan, Michigan state? Ooh. do I hear any opening bids? 30 oh wait, are we are we saying what it do we think it opens at or what it closes yeah. at where, where does it open opens at 42 42 and a half I'm gonna say 39 and a half <laughs> <laughs> and I bet yeah. you'd still want to take the under don't you I I do well I do think that this was a perfect storm for a 10-3 kind of game, well, just with the way Iowa plays. And, yeah, I mean, that that was like that was a tough and, – and by the way, is Nate Stanley just the most Iowa quarterback to ever lace it up? I mean, just a big old corn-fed dude with, with just a big arm who can't really move, who's, <laughs> you know, just – just sitting back there and he had i mean they, they were like two receiver routes all day long and he couldn't yeah. find anybody it's just a weird it's a weird deal watching he, Iowa. he was also in like he was going it, it, it reached a stage late in the game where he was he knew where he was going before the snap no matter what just because he the way michigan was pressuring him he didn't want to waste his time trying to read the defense after the snap <laughs> he was just like right. all right i'm going this way <laughs> <laughs> That's Mm. how you went with three interceptions. Exactly. Coming up on the other side, more of our takeaways from week six next. The all-new Hyundai 2024 Santa Fe is equipped with everything you need to break free from the dull work week and embark on an adventurous weekend with your family. The all-new Hyundai Santa Fe's features ensure that you can take on any adventure. What kind of features? Well, how about the available H-Track all-wheel drive so you can take on the dirt trails and kick up some mud? Or the standard third-row seating so your whole family can experience the thrill together? How about available dual wireless charging pads so no one gets stuck in the great outdoors with a dead phone? 
We're always trying to think about those great spring and summer getaways, but with a car like the Hyundai Santa Fe, anywhere can be your next adventure. To learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe, go to HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Learn more about the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe at HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for complete details. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, guys, I've got uh, I've just got some some wild stuff, some bananas activity in the ACC Coastal, but that feels a little local. So uh, where where do y'all want to go? Well, but I mean, I didn't watch this game, but I just uh, while we're while we've got a moment, uh, sound you can you can sound the alarm. We got a we got a win total push. Beeves get the W. So uh, you know, just just as long as we can note that and we can move on now. Before we move on, though, <laughs> like, do you guys realize that this is year two of the Chip Kelly era at UCLA yep. and also year two of the Jonathan Smith era at Oregon State? Which coach would you rather have right now? Jonathan Smith. Yeah. I mean, what in the F? <laughs> I, I, I don't know. I don't understand. I don't know what's going on. I don't know who Chip Kelly is. Like, who is this Chip Kelly? I don't think Chip knows anymore, honestly. That's a, I think you're exactly right. I think that's hitting it on the head. I think that when you're able to compartmentalize really, really well, you just kind of ignore everything else. <laughs> I think that he's probably like going to bed at night and he's like, well, I mean, our, our team stinks, but hopefully we'll get better. <laughs> <laughs> like I remember Larry Fedora at the end of uh, his time at North Carolina, he was – like he was almost trying to show like a mindfulness side. And he said, every morning I wake up and I say that there's nothing that you can do to affect the forces outside of you. All I can do is do my best. And I say it to myself every morning. It's like, all right, Larry, good luck. I am, I am supportive of your, uh, your move towards a, a better mental state, but yeah, I, I think you need to be concerned about what other people are uh, doing right now. <laughs> yeah, just yeah, uh, that's that's uh, that's commendable, Larry. But just make sure you know how to block that three tech. Also. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> <laughs> uh, all right, so let's. Uh, d- do you want to get into ACC Coastal? Do you want to go to Texas West Virginia? We got Penn State. We've got Kelly Bryant in Missouri. Oklahoma State lost to Texas Tech. Let's get into the. There was some ACC madness. Let's just go ahead and dive into some of the ACC madness. Okay, so uh, 19-3 at halftime in Durham. Not at all what we expected from Duke-Pittsburgh coming off the Duke blowout of Virginia Tech. More on the Hokies later. Then 
Duke mounts this insane comeback that includes a two-point try that might be reversed. Then it gets all the way back and Pitt's able to get out of there with a 33-30 to victory. Like the, the ups and downs of that game are absolutely bananas. And yet that doesn't even compare to the fact that Virginia Tech nearly blew a 28 to nothing lead against Miami that included Jaron Williams having three interceptions, getting benched. Nikosi Perry comes in, throws a Hail Mary before halftime that gets batted around and caught. Then DJ Dallas comes in. They have a missed extra point that would have given them a one-point lead. And Virginia Tech goes down, scores. Miami gets the other way, all the way down to the 10-yard line, has the potential game-winning touchdown batted down by Virginia Tech. So now Miami is uh, 0-2, I believe, in ACC play, and Virginia Tech is still somehow, even amongst all the mess, they've got a new new quarterback, Ryan Willis is out. Uh, Miami, I guess, has a quarterback controversy, and all of it, I think, is left with uh, the North Carolina Tar Heels as your new ACC Coastal (laughs) favorites. Let's go. Just going to push the, the who's to the side there? Yeah, that's right, because that game's in Chapel Hill. We're already talking <laughs> about it. I mean, yeah, it was it was Bananas Day in the ACC Coastal. Did y'all catch any of it? I, I did catch. I, so a few of these Bananas games I didn't get much of. I got a little bit of Boston College, Louisville. Didn't get any oh, of UNC, man. Georgia Tech, and didn't get any of Pitt, Duke. But the Virginia Tech-Miami game, I mean, like, when, when is Miami going to – like? That, that's that's just sad to see them jumping around on the sideline before the game, getting all hype and just sort of thinking, getting some just sort of feels about man, like let's get this, let's get the U back, and then they go and they and they get run up by by Virginia Tech, a team that's just been terrible. And I mean, that's this sort of a tired, tired, I guess, conversation of you know when's the U going to be back? But that's a bad look. I guess I'm just going to spin it and say good on Virginia Tech. Found a quarterback that can do some things with his legs and Hendon Hooker. And they 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 saddled up and made, you know, had a kind of a good stand there, but how bad of that is a look on on Miami? Oh, it's a terrible look because that Virginia Tech offense, even with Hendon Hooker uh providing a little bit of a different much different option, excuse me, from Ryan Willis. Uh, I still don't think that Virginia Tech offense is that great. And I thought that the one thing that I could count on based on the personnel and based on the coaching was Miami being really solid defensively. So even as you're having these like clunker 17 to 12 game against Central Michigan, I'm able to be like, all right, well, so Miami's offense still isn't working. That's fine. But when when you have that kind of uh, turn and when you just – show up a little bit flat, I, I, I think it's a massively disappointing start to the Manny Diaz era. Yeah, Did, I mean... Two, two, two of um of Jaron Williams' interceptions were in the end zone, weren't they? Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, one of them was on like fourth down, wasn't it? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. They had five turnovers. I mean, yeah, Virginia Tech's offense... They they scored forty two points yet they only had three hundred and thirty seven yards, <laughs> so it's not that's not typically the ratio you see. But they had a lot of short fields thanks to Miami turnovers. Are you willing to excuse the the loss for the Hurricanes, Tom? 
No. Okay. No, you, 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 that was just a dog crap effort. And I, I, I appreciate that they battled back and they didn't quit because that was easily a situation where they could have just sat there and felt bad about themselves. So that's a good sign at least going forward. But no, there's, there's nothing to excuse for that. That was, that was an awful, they, they put themselves in that situation. Okay. What about Pitt Duke? Any strong takeaways or is that just another wacky (laughs) day in the sideways world of the ACC coastal? It was on the ACC network, so I didn't get to watch it. But as somebody who had Pitt plus 165, that was a roller coaster. (laughs) (laughs) Just following on the game tracker. It was what, like, I thought that thing was over. I I, I was counting the money. I was spending it. And then all of a sudden it's like, okay, wait, no. It's a one score. Oh, 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 no. Oh, no. (laughs) Yeah, never a doubt. Pitt wins. Did you get any? You said you weren't able to get many eyes on it, right, Barton? Yeah, I didn't. I didn't get the. Yeah, I didn't get any any eyes on that one. Um, but I was watching it on the on my score app as well. And you know, earlier it was like, well, there's no reason to watch it. And then I was tied up, and I, when in the midst of the Duke comeback, but I was sort of seeing it progress slowly, in uh, you know, on my phone, and man. I mean, I, I mean, that Pitt is such a – Tom had a great tweet that was – what was it? What was your tweet, Tom? Pitt is the goofy neighbor in every sitcom who sometimes says some profound word. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. I can't it's say like, here. Yeah. It's like you can't – you just – like who is – who are these guys? But like they – you I mean, they could – they can – you just never know what you're getting. It's just a roller coaster with them. Can I uh... – can, can I take it another step and say that it's uh, what's the, the second male lead to, to Ray Romano and everybody loves Raymond. Is it a brother? Is it his a brother? Yeah. Yeah. Pitt's the brother. <laughs> just can, sort of, just sort of like kind of a goofball and like butt of most of the jokes, but sometimes the brother does something that's like really makes everyone proud. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> that's it. Congratulations, Pitt. You're the brother and everybody loves Raymond. <laughs> Which you could use to see on CBS. Oh, Ray. <laughs> um, all right. Is Penn State believable as a potential Big Ten championship contender? Uh, I'm not there yet. Well, I mean, only because we're comparing it to Ohio State. I mean, I, I think that they're believable as potentially the second best team in the Big Ten. Um, and I, I mean, they might be the second best team in the Big Ten, but. There's still a little. There's something missing still. Like they didn't put, and that Purdue team. I mean, come on. I mean, Jack. Poor, poor Jack Plummer. I mean, that dude. I, at one point, I looked up and he was like two of eleven or something ridiculous. But I had seen with my own eyes like four drops. I mean, he has no one to throw to. There's no. There, there's no running game to speak of. They've. They've got everyone's injured on their defense. It's just a. I mean, that's not a good team, and it's, and and it's not even a. It's just a, a team that's all their good players are out. I mean, for the most part, a lot of them, anyways. Yeah. And so, it's that's a hard game to measure. And like Penn State really didn't put their foot on Purdue's throat. It you know they jumped out to a twenty-eight nothing lead, and that was impressive. But I think that James Franklin's going to have plenty of coaching and teaching points after this one uh, to, to lean on. 
I think James Franklin sees that his team's next three weeks are at Iowa versus Michigan and at Michigan State. And once they got up and the game was over, I think he was just like, okay, that's enough. I mean, Purdue only had 104 yards of offense in this game. Right. So, And, and I, I, the the feeling early in the game was like, oh, Penn State could score 100 if it wants to. And but I think to your it could point, have if yeah, it yeah. really wanted to. Yeah, but it just what, it was not interested in, the, in playing that kind of game. Yeah, it it's it took the foot off the gas and said, "Let's go home." Pretty much. I mean, it, shockingly, if you take Rondale Moore, Elijah, Elijah Sindelar, half the defense, a couple offensive linemen, I think two or three running backs away from Purdue, Jeff Brom doesn't have that program built to where it has that kind of depth. I guess. Mm-hmm. Uh, yeah, uh, but I mean, look, I think Penn State is is. I mean, we'll find out. I mean, they got to go to Kinnick Stadium next weekend. Mm-hmm. Um, That's always at, a scary thing for them. At night. Yeah. So um, that's, uh, I mean, that's going to be really telling because as much as Iowa didn't look all that, uh, they didn't look like world beaters today, when they get in the Kinnick Stadium at night against a ranked opponent, forget about it, man. That's trouble. That's a scary place to be. So um, we'll, we'll find out a lot about Penn State next weekend. Kelly Bryant went down with a knee injury in what was uh, a Missouri romp against Troy. Missouri's got an interesting profile now as they uh, continue to sort of insert themselves maybe amidst the, you know, in the third or fourth place in the SEC East. They've got the loss in Laramie on for their opener, but since then it's been uh, nothing but dubs. So, uh, as as we have uncertainty around Kelly Bryant, do y'all believe that Missouri, is this something where we just have to sit and wait and see, or is this a, a Missouri team that maybe has uh, already started to show signs of exceeding expectations? I mean, I, I think it depends what your expectations for are, because I think that if you look at the SEC East right now, I mean, yeah, there's, there's Florida and Georgia, and then there's a lot of, I, I don't really know. I mean, both Vandy and Kentucky are now 0-3 in the conference. Tennessee's 0-2. South Carolina's 1-2. So I feel like Missouri, I don't know if it's exceeding expectations as much as it's the third best team in the division by default. You know, it's from what I've seen, it it's it's a good team. It, it looks like an above average team. It's just there's nothing to me about this team that I think is all that special. So I think it's going to finish in third in the division, and I think it's probably going to have maybe eight or nine wins just based on the rest of that division. But I don't think that this is a team that I'm going to be – it's going to be a team that might finish ranked, but it might be a team that's overranked. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, I I think their defensive line is good. I mean, I think Kelly Bryan is good. I think this is – I mean, I, I think this is a team that's – a significant. I mean, look, they killed South Carolina. There's, I think, they're a significant tier above the non-Florida and Georgia teams in the SEC East. And is Missouri on the Florida tier? Is the question. I would I mean, say no. 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 Yeah. Yeah, I agree. That's not to say it can't beat Florida, but it's not on the same tier. Okay, there are there is three twenty one left in the third quarter. Stanford is up twenty to ten. 
As as we turn our attention to the Pac-12, we've got Oregon seventeen seven to to break down. But uh, just just right now, instant thoughts. Do y'all think that uh, that Washington's going to win this game? Well, they just kicked the field goal to make right. it twenty to thirteen. So here they come. I bet they win. I think they win because, as we've said many numerous times, Stanford is sad and soft, and they will blow this in the fourth quarter. But they've not. Put it on they- tape. They're not looking S A D S O F T in this game as as much as they have been. So credit to David Shaw, uh, getting them rolling finally. Maybe David Shaw listens. Yeah, maybe so. Cre- credit Barton for the callback on the fact that you can't spell sad and soft without Stanford. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, all right. So uh, Oregon's seventeen seven win. Uh, the the defense is sort of the headlining uh, factor here as Cal jumps out to a seven zero lead, but then uh, the defense kind of rises up. You've got some Oregon turnovers that they had to overcome, and they were able to. And so as they as they get a little bit of a, a hard fought win, do you think that this is something that that falls into the culture of? Uh, a little bit more of a physicality that Mario Cristobal is trying to put in in Eugene, or is this uh, just maybe a sign that the uh, the Oregon team that has a little 13 beside its name might not be the 13th best team in the country? Well, first of all, Cal is the Northwestern of the Pac-12. Yes. <laughs> there, it, it, Cal is a total like glitch. It's... Cal is a video game that every time you play it, you got to take it out and blow on it and put it back in because you can't figure out why it's not working. Like Cal, it's a bunch of nerds who doesn't want anybody having a good time. I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it. And it was and and I was dumb enough to pick against both Cal and Northwestern this weekend, and I'm just I'm I'm off that. Don't let me do it anymore. Um, <laughs> Yeah, you you were out here laying more than two touchdowns with a pair of Pac-12 North teams. Just, just stupid, just <laughs> flat out stupid. And uh, so, I mean, I do, I cr- I credit Cal, just like I credit Northwestern for like these m- mind-boggling ways they're able to stay in these games. That said, I'm not giving like I'm not gonna tip my cap to Oregon for this I'm just not this is I, 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 Marcus Arroyo is it's time for him to take a step forward and acknowledge that this is a big time football program or they're supposed to be and if you want to be you know having playoff discussions or Pac-12 championship discussions let's get rolling offensively I, I know it's Cal but let's get going and I think the the Justin Herbert stuff and it's been it's been sort of fed force fed for for a couple of years now that he's potential number 1 overall draft pick and I know he is big enough and he's athletic enough and he's got a strong enough arm and all the the sum of his parts certainly screams first round but when when was the last time Oregon was in a game and you were just like oh man just wait till Wait till Justin Herbert gets the ball again. Am, no. am I am I wrong? No, like, no, no, no. no. I, it, <laughs> not like it. It has. It has always been the fact that I have had Justin Herbert set to the side as a great quarterback prospect 
in that conversation where I believe you can be a great quarterback prospect for the NFL and not be a great college football quarterback. Now, I do think Justin Herbert has given us reasons to think that he's a great college football quarterback, but it's not like he has been a unique individual game changer most games at the college level. My thing is, I don't know if it's Herbert's fault or if it's his coach's fault, because what I saw in this game was a lot of the things that I've have driven me nuts about Mario Cristobal since he took over this program. I feel I what's the way to put? I feel like if Mario Cristobal was in a fight, he wouldn't want to win the fight as much as he would just want to make sure the fight didn't end. You know what I mean? He just wants to be fighting. He's not trying to win. And I feel like every week you see Oregon in a matchup like this where Cal has Devin Modster at QB. Yes, Cal is a very difficult team to deal with. Its defense is very good. It's the Northwestern of the Pac-12. But there is no reason why a number 13 team Oregon with as much talent as Mario Cristobal has started to amass in Eugene should not beat the crap out of this California team. But they don't seem interested in doing that. They'd rather keep it close. They'd rather keep it into a rock fight because I feel like they just want to fight. They don't want to win. And it's why I cannot trust them against better teams. And it's why, no, you asked earlier, Chip, are they really the 13th best team in the country? No. Yeah. They're just there because whenever people put together their ballot on Saturday night or Sunday morning, they're like, oh, crap, I've to put it through 12 teams and I don't have a Pac-12 team yet. I guess I'll just put Oregon here. Yeah, for, for, for a weekend that didn't have a whole lot of meaningful results, game-changing results, I'm, I'm going shuff, to be shuffling my rankings a little bit. I'll say that. Oh, yeah, we got I don't it. know if the Pac-12 deserves a team in the top 15. Well, they don't. They probably don't. I mean, well, without without looking at it, I mean, I don't think they they probably don't. Mm. Um, what else is on the notepad? Uh, I want to talk about. Here, let's go to the Big Twelve. There are three teams in the Big Twelve right now that are two and zero in conference play. There's Texas. There's Oklahoma. There's the Baylor Bears, who have now won two in a row as underdogs, straight up. Went to Manhattan, beat Kansas State thirty-one to twelve. That rule's got it rolling there, guys. And I'm thinking this is a Baylor team that, you know, you look at Oklahoma State, which lost today to fall to one and two in the Big 12 so far this year, who is pretty much almost already out of the race because I don't see either Oklahoma or Texas losing twice. So the Sooners or the Cowboys are pretty much done. I think all of a sudden now Baylor, it's got the win over Iowa State. It's got the win over Kansas State. This is a team now that I feel like is the number one contender to get that second spot from Texas. I'm not ready to say that about Baylor, and I've been very enthusiastic pushing them forward and being uh, being predicting them to win both against Iowa State and against Kansas State, identifying it as level-up moments and being excited that they were able to meet the challenge. But uh, in the same way that like we we patted Texas on the back for winning 10 games last season, but we've ignored the fact that they had four losses, I don't think Baylor's to the point where it is going to get through the schedule without about three or four losses. And I think it's a great start, but I, I think that that's, that's about the ceiling for the Bears this year. Oh, chip, 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 chip. You'll see. So so did you guys leave today with a, with a different opinion of Texas than you started the day with? No. 
No, I mean that was I. I don't think like we saw Oklahoma struggled early against Kansas too, and so for Texas to struggle early against West Virginia, they're they're both in look ahead spots. Next week's a big week for them, so I, I wasn't surprised to see anything by them. What about uh, I mean, the like the cannibalism has begun in the Big Twelve because I mean Iowa State just to to kind of throw a smackdown on TCU I thought was was telling. Obviously, Texas Tech upsetting Oklahoma State was something, but uh, you know I think the 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 zaniness is just beginning in the Big Twelve. Um, I really think like I, I agree with you guys that my opinion didn't really, really change from Texas, but it, but it was my opinion was hardened in in that I think Texas is probably got another loss. Hell yeah. Somewhere along the way, <laughs> other than Oklahoma. Yeah, no, no, they might beat Oklahoma and then have right. like two more losses in it. Yeah. Nah, this, and like, I'm not ready to put Red River in the Iowa-Iowa State vacuum yet, but I kind of do. Don't y'all? The Iowa-Iowa State vacuum, meaning like what happens in, in that game stays in that game? Yes. Yeah. Yeah. I will I will finish Chip by just pointing out that Baylor is five and zero and winning by an average of twenty three points per game. I know, I know. I'm just like, hey, what what about Oklahoma? So Oklahoma State in the last couple years, when it plays ranked teams, it's like five and two, and when it plays unranked teams, it's like what four and nine. I saw. I can't remember what the stat was. Somebody tweeted over the last five or six years or whatever now that after Oklahoma State lost today, because it was a seven-point favorite, or I think it was even more. Mike Gundy has lost more games as a touchdown favorite or more than any other coach in the country. In second place was Gary Patterson. That's that's very Big Twelve of those guys. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah, that's that was my thought too. Is like it didn't really make me question either of them as coaches as much as just maybe say, man, that Big Twelve is nuts. <laughs> Because we've got uh, Kyle Boone, who also um, contributes to Pistols Firing. Kyle Porter, also our golf writer, is uh, uh, the manager and uh, and owner over there for the the college football, college basketball, golf, and baseball coverage for the the Pokes. And they seem to be very comfortable. Like, that was like, oh, well, you know, Jet Duffy's going to light us up. Because, of course, Jet Duffy's going to light us up. And this is what happens when... Uh, a ranked Oklahoma State team goes into Lubbock. Like they, like very, very quickly, that game started, and every Oklahoma State person I know was like, "Okay, yeah, we're gonna lose. This is how it goes." And that sort of familiarity allowed me to not necessarily downgrade my view of Oklahoma State. I mean, sure, like they're gonna fall out of the rankings, and uh, they do deserve to be not punished, but they deserve to be like ranked in a different place. But as I have my own sort of personal power ratings in my mind as we move forward in the season. I, my opinion, like you asked about Texas, my opinion of Oklahoma state has not really changed after that Texas tech loss because by everything that I was able to see, I was like, okay, so this is just what Oklahoma state does. Yeah. Yeah. I mean, I think Oklahoma state, if you've had to like pick Oklahoma, it's not even gets the spread, just like straight up over the last, four weeks i mean good freaking luck you know i mean you just guys like it's it's really just kind of a guessing game but what what we know about them is they're explosive they're kind of exciting i i I would i would enjoy being an oklahoma state fan 
I, I kind of wish I was an Oklahoma State fan. You know? Yeah, it'd be no, fun. It'd yeah. be like being a pit fight fan. It's it, no, you're gonna no, die no. of a heart attack. Oh, but you're God, gonna have some no. fun. But it's a it's a more it's a much more enjoyable experience than being oh, a pit yeah. fan. It's a being a pit fan would be fun in the same way like it is fun to gamble and sometimes like take a really bad beat and sometimes like win a really like crazy finish. But Oklahoma State is like I don't know. It's you, you get to. It's just like a fun experience. Like you know what? Like if we go eight and four, hey, good for us. But that was a fun eight and four. That was an exciting eight and four. We want. We, we scored a lot of points. Had some fun. I just think that'd be a fun fan base. We've got these big paddles. We bang them against the side of a wall. It's great. <laughs> I see. I see. Chuba Hubbard had a light workload today. Only thirty four carries. <laughs> 156 yeah. yards. Tom's Tom's on this right now. You've got Chuba Hubbard on the. They're Wisconsining him. They are Ron Daney and all those dudes to Chuba. They are going to run him into the damn ground before he gets to the NFL. Can, Lighten the load. Can Can I um, nominate Tennessee Titans legend Derrick Henry as the the namesake for this trophy? Mister yeah. Forty carries 202 yards. Derrick Henry. I think Ron Dane's still the ultimate flag <laughs> yeah, that's bearer true. for this award for sure um uh well all right so listeners i i am gonna guys i'm gonna take an executive decision we got a lot of awesome responses what do you think about pushing to a full or at least a, a little bit of a more healthy listener mailbag episode does that sound it's good a full, to you? full mailbag episode or at least uh at least not like hours minutes 60 through 90 when it's 1 a.m. and Barton's yeah, still in I, Stanford. Uh, I, I'm, I'm with that. And then it may actually, we can actually sort of perhaps even think about our responses instead of just hitting them, uh, you know, on the, on the spot. And, uh, you know, they're like, I think one guy asked about a fantasy football question and things like that. And I'd, I'd like to maybe prep prep an answer for a couple of those okay so thank you so much and i promise that there will be there will be a delivery on this uh hey, could, for those. are we are you about to take us out yeah i mean I, I wanted to at least address the listeners who who wanted to uh, to get those but we still have to dump our notebooks out so if you've okay, got something yeah. take us take us where you want to go well i did want to take i wanted to like i'm i'm fascinated by old miss right now Ooh, like old miss is starting to be kind of fun to watch They've they've got this Rich Rod stuff rocking with two quarterbacks and a couple freshman running backs that had like 70-plus yard runs today. And I'm just – I don't know that I think they're going to win a whole lot more games, but they're, they're being they're, – they're, they're entertaining me. And they certainly did a number on Vanderbilt today. Shout out the dentist. He's back on track. Why you got to bring that up? <laughs> but what I'm really getting at, and I and I tweeted this. This got out of the draft bin onto the onto the playing field. Uh, you know, where's the sweet spot for Rich Rodriguez to score enough points or not enough points to keep Matt Luke's job, but enough points to where he can replace him? And 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 I'll take it a step further. Let me ask you guys this. The head coach at Ole, of Ole Miss in 2020 is A, Matt Luke, B, Rich Rod, C, Mike McIntyre, 
or D, the field? D. Ooh. I don't know. I I think it's Matt Luke. I kind of do too. I think it's. I think he. I think Rich Rod's doing too good of a job. I think they have too. They have this young freshman quarterback. The sort of exciting. They got some, you know, some an offense that's starting to roll a little bit. Unless they just get kind of regress in the second half of the season. Feels like Matt Luke's doing enough. I'm leaning on the dentist too, who said that this game was kind of a. Uh a make or break game for the, the some people whose voices might matter a little bit more. Um, well, th- I think that was, he was saying more that it was a, it was, I don't know if it's a make game. It was a potential break game. Sure. Sure. Uh, you know, you know what I mean? Like yes. if he had lost it, that would have been trouble, but it, but that he won it might just be kind of a stay of execution. Well, here's a question. If Matt Luke is Ole Miss's coach in 2020, is Rich Rod still its offensive coordinator? Maybe not. I would say that I feel more comfortable about Matt Luke not getting replaced almost as like a time served kind of benefit than I do about like if Rich Rod gets an attractive offer somewhere else. But I mean, it's Ole Miss that there's a chance that that offer is, uh, is pretty comfortable for him. Yeah. I, but I really, I mean, I also think that Rich Rodriguez is the perfect the, the perfect antidote. Head coach. Well, not, no, I was going to say the perfect antidote for what they needed this season because, you know, if you just roll in there and run the same old RPO stuff that everyone else is running or try to do the stuff that the Hugh Freeze ran, like, they'd be okay maybe with with uh, Matt Corral at quarterback. and But I think the fact that they have – they they've, it, it's a little bit more run-oriented – um, and the fact that they did get John Rice Plumley, and the fact that they got some good running backs and Jerry Neely's there and Snoop Connor and these dudes, I think that all together creates a much more optimistic situation for Ole Miss than it would have been if Rich Rod still head coach at Arizona. I agree. Yeah, for sure. So, yeah. Well, so maybe, maybe maybe Matt Luke hired just just good enough. Tom, you got anything else in your notebook? Uh, yeah. Shout out to Willie Fritz and Tulane for beating Army in the next head coach bowl. And the second part of that is, I would like to officially announce that I am done with Lovey Smith as coach of Illinois. Just Ooh. done. Time D- to move on. DMs are open. DMs are open. If you want to slide up in them and petition Tom to be the next head coach, you can get it. At least serve as your search committee. Is this year five? Uh, it's year four. Year but four. It's it's year four is the same as year three is the same as year two is the same as year one. It's yeah. If Illinois can't stop anybody on defense, and if you hired Lovey Smith and he can't put together a defense. What's the point of having Lovey Smith as your coach? You know, Lovey's an inter- is a really interesting case study because I remember when we did our coach rankings in the preseason, Lovey Smith's first year. So he hadn't coached a game yet, but here he is. This, I mean, th- didn't they basically, if I remember correctly, they basically fired who was before Lovey? Uh, it was Tim Beckman who got fired for uh, like being a little 
physically abusive or verbally abusive towards players. He was then replaced by Bill Cubitt as an interim who then got a contract extension to become the permanent coach by the board of trustees because they were between ADs and then Illinois' athletic director, current athletic director, Josh Whitman, took over the job and literally the first thing he did was fire Bill Cubitt like a couple weeks after he got the extension and then he named Lovey Smith the head coach like a few days later. It was already done right, before right, he got the job. Right, so he had basically fired he basically fired Cubitt to hire Lovey because Lovey was, would be such a you know, universally approved hire. Like it was going to be like a home run hire, at least right. in his eyes. Right. And I remember when we were when we were doing those coaching rankings. It's like, what do you do with Lovey Smith? He's never coached in in college, but man, he's he's been in the super. He's played coach of the Super Bowl. He's you know, if you can be a Super Bowl coach, then man, you like you must be te- you must be decent. And I just think that's such a a telling. Like it's just so telling as I watch another Washington receiver drop a ball. From <laughs> These guys can't catch, man. Uh, but that, that's so telling that the the two just I mean they're not uh, they, certainly they, there's correlation I guess or but but you cannot judge one based on the other and you know that that's I think I don't know that that's 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 really interesting to me. That you really like when when the USC job comes open and Jack Del Rio and uh, Jeff Fisher and guys like that are, are are banging on the door, you know. Hey, I mean Pete Carroll worked at one point, but you really can't judge how good of a college coach they'll be just based on the fact that they've had success in the NFL. Herm Edwards says, "What's up?" Trying to change your narrative. <laughs> well, no, that's exactly. I mean, that's the point. I think too is. It's it's like I mean even even Herm like he wasn't even that successful of an NFL coach right no so perhaps that proves the point the the opposite way is like that it's you know don't don't hold NFL failures against them either um, but Stanford I, defensive backs have better hands than Washington receivers unfortunately yeah they do this is another one that was just so stupid of me to bet what was I thinking. <laughs> That's a good clip. That was that was an that was, that was an honest moment from Barton Simmons right there. What I regret. Oh man! All right, Barton, you ready to uh, get back to the the Marriott Spa? Yeah, I'm at the I I I, I bailed on the, the spa. I'm at the Hilton this time. Okay. So yeah. So shout out to the Hilton for taking care of Barton. And uh, shout out to to you for all your hard work on CBS Sports HQ, holding it down. Was it Hakeem Dermish the whole way? Hakeem, and then uh, the the eleven p.m. show was Scott Stanford. So, Scott Stanford, yeah. absolutely. Uh, you can follow him on Twitter at Barton Simmons. You can follow him at Tom Fernelli. You can follow me at Chip underscore Patterson. Remember, we will be back uh, next week. Your your listener mailbag questions have been awesome. We're going to compile them all. The three of us will tackle them. Uh, we'll do it next week. And so uh, thank you so much for doing that. Continue to please subscribe if you haven't not already. Give us a five-star review if you haven't already. And again, with that five-star review, you include a question. It's going to be answered on this podcast. Uh, that's, that's just the way the game works. Gentlemen, thank you very much. Thank you. Thank you.
baseball has begun, which means you need to listen to Fantasy Baseball Today in 5, part of the CBS Sports Podcast Network. Join Scott White, Chris Towers, and me, Frank Samphill, every Monday through Saturday as we deliver all of your fantasy baseball needs in just five minutes. We'll break down the biggest performers, news, and prospects who could make an impact this season. Make sure to download and follow on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, the Odyssey app, and everywhere else podcasts are found.